Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Welcome to the WSO Weekly Wrap-Up, where I talk with my team about the five most trending discussions in the Wall Street Oasis community. Enjoy. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Weekly Wrap-Up. It is... What day is it today, guys? Thursday, Thursday, March 23rd. Matt's going to kick us off with the first topic. Perfect. All right, guys. Glad to be back here. I think first and uh, first topic we should discuss is from last week. Uh, we were trying to anticipate what Jay Powell was going to do with the FOMC this week, so yesterday. And it looks like we were right. So it's a 25% basis point, uh, basis point hike um, that was announced uh, with possibly a future hike coming um, in, I believe, June is the next FOMC meeting. So we suggested it was going to be a 25 basis point hike. And I know myself, I was suggesting maybe a pause then. Um, so it looks like we were at least half right. Um, Pat, any thoughts on the current state of the markets? Um, you know, anything from what Powell mentioned? Uh, what's your feedback on that? Yeah, I think it's just a very strange time because you have like such mixed signals coming in from everywhere. You have a strong labor market. You got uh, inflation that doesn't really seem to be cooling as fast as we would hope. So there's kind of like that pressure. And then, of course, all the the bank failures and all the, the stress there is kind of the counteracting data, which is obviously putting the Fed in even a tougher position. So um, I think that's probably why we got the 25 beeps and not the, not the zero because of the hot readings. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I think I saw something where they mentioned Jay Powell and the, and the crew there were definitely thinking of a pause. Um, but I think because of specifically that that hot inflation number, it's been too stubborn. And the jobs, um, they just like the jo- it's the jobs. Yeah. Uh, the way I, I think, yeah, I think that he wants to see jobs come down because that should trickle to a decrease in uh, like a deceleration in, in inflation. Um, service level services. It's service, yeah. Services. It's all, all service-based. It's all service-based things. So, I I think their idea is still deliver the twenty-five beeps. It's gonna hurt banks, but I think they're they're willing to backstop a lot of the deposits. They're not coming out and saying they're gonna do a full blanket approach, but they have to anticipate there's probably gonna be some more pain that comes off the back of this raise and maybe a future one. So they're willing to help out a bit. Um, what do you think? Because late last year, we were talking about like when you might start putting some money to work. Is Are you feeling uh, it's time or what are you feeling? Uh, like, no, no, no. I think there's, there's more pain. Yeah, uh, there's no, more pain. It has no. to be. Because, because it's interesting because the rates now, terminal rates are at five. Uh, and J-Pow actually mentioned that base case is going to be 5.25. So there's still a 25 on the table. Even if they don't have it, like the market's still gonna crash because this effective rate hikes takes about eight months to go to real estate. And you're seeing all the rates crash already. They've stopped dividends, they're gonna people are stopped paying rent, like it's all gonna flow in. Once that happens, like even today, like I think uh banks are falling, right? I, I didn't see properly, but it came on the news feed or something that banks are still falling. So these small hikes are just gonna have a major impact. Once that happens, the whole tech bubble needs to burst, and then I'll think about like putting money because look at Nvidia. Just just look at Nvidia, like one fifty PE or something. 
crazy. There's, there's <laughs> no way that's not a bubble. This is interesting. So, I, Nibio, I would say I think I'm one. Like I'm on the complete opposite side of, of you on on this opinion. I think this is a time when you have to be allocating capital. The way I see it, I'm thinking much more of like a five thousand foot approach. As simple as this, you take a look at the S and P 500 chart the past five years, and I say to myself, all this negative stuff has happened to the world, whether it's COVID, um, you know, well, wars in Ukraine, um, what else? Went? Financial uh, crisis in the U.S. And I'm seeing to myself, the chart's not looking that bad. It's kind of having that base, uh, you know, bottom pattern forming. That, like, what worse could possibly happen to make things go much lower? We're only at about 22 to 25 percent off the highs right now at the current levels. And I'm thinking to myself, all this negativity has happened, and we're here. Like, how how much more could the negative train keep going? I don't think it does. I think when you're in this place, there's a lot of fud. We're at, I feel like we're at peak fear, peak fud right now for a lot of uh, different industries, and I think. Depending on your time horizon, it is probably a good time to start building a position. Uh, I'm trying to, my thesis is capture the meat of the move. You're not going to pinpoint the bottom. Um, uh, true. The, but one person's going to be the lucky guy that buys the bottom. It's going to be, that's what people gonna forget, be the right? Everyone wants, to, everyone wants a time. <laughs> no, to I'm not going to buy the bottom. I'm just, I'm just going to wait until. He already traded Tesla sense. beautifully. I think he uh, bought in at one. <laughs> And yeah, well, and then I sold it like 200 plus. But like, I'm going to wait again. Like, it's going to come to 120. Like, uh, fair value, fair value again. But, uh, the thing is, it's interesting that you mentioned that despite having all these negative things, the market didn't go down. If uh, I look at market as a way uh, in this way, that market should yeah, basically like, what you're saying, Matt, I would, show reality. You're saying it should go down more. It hasn't come down that far even with all this he, bad news. He, no, no, but yeah. there's been some recovery though, is what I'm suggesting. There's been some recovery and we're now just chopping in a place now, this plat like this plateau here, where there has still been a sizable amount of negative negative like negative information. The initial decline came around this time last year because the Fed announced an aggressive hiking schedule, right? right? But then since then, there's still been wars, you know, financial crisis, since crypto imploding. There's still been a lot of negativity that's come off as like as a result of where we're at now, and it doesn't seem like the market wants to go any lower. My two cents is I still think there's a lot of sideline capital um, that's really keeping things afloat. People maybe have these psychological levels in the market where they're willing to to deploy um and i just think like you know powell is saying this is near the end like you, we got maybe one more hike and you're yeah. just thinking of the progression of things like we're here yes he's gonna give verbiage around you know it might do more might do less but that's he needs to obviously be able to control the market can't have people seeing just green all the time they need to be kept on their toes but once that and i think that the next important piece is gonna be how long that hold takes place how long are they gonna hold the rates at this level the dot plot is suggesting next year is going to be cuts. I think as soon as you see rate cuts, or even before that, because again, the market's forward-looking, any anticipation of a cut coming, I think the market's just going to start screaming up. There's too much money on the side. Money's still been printed. Valuations are going to go back to where they were. Um, and then inflation will take off again. <laughs> and it takes off yeah. again. But then, but then the, the Ponzi keeps going. Part, That's what it's all about. The Ponzi keeps yeah, going. Yeah, the most interesting part, now that you mentioned rate cuts, is most of the depressions that have happened actually happen after a rate cut. After a hike, a hold, and then a rate cut, all the things start going to shit. Because at that point, they kind of lose uh, confidence. Because if they have to do a rate cut, it means they've broken something. So last time in 2008, they did a rate well, cut, and then the banks failed. But well, they I, did the I'd rate cut that, to try though, to I don't know it. if they I don't know if they only do rate cuts though when something breaks. Right? You, the way I think our financial system is set up from like a like just the flow of money and everything, you need to have 
your rates at that Goldilocks environment where there's always growth, right? Guys, like I think as individuals, like we always, like our markets need to grow, like assets are going to grow in value. I think that's just the way things are going to, as a, on a whole, not as like on an individual per company basis, but the market as a whole is going to be growing. The way I think our financial system set up is it needs to have that Goldilocks environment with interest rates where it does stimulate growth. You do want to have growth for your people, for your economy, for markets, or else if there's no growth, you know, I agree. I think but j just yesterday at his uh, thing just said there's not going to be any growth in 2023. Yes, in 2023. But so, markets are... But so markets that just are means... Looking. Markets are future looking, <laughs> right? So it's, it's not to say right, you can't be buying thinking that it's... You know, I mean, the, the markets are projecting what they expect the future market to look like is how I see it. And again, I, my suggestion is I'm not saying this year we see growth, but if I think you have a three to five year time horizon. I think now is the time to at least start building building a position. My but, two cents. But if you, yeah, but if you look at valuations, none of them make sense. Like they're not at a place where it's so uh, future looking. Like it's still overvalued. Like uh, looking at current scenarios, like wait for the next earnings. You'll probably see a lot of these things cracks start to come again someone's going to say ai push valuations up but like uh people still have to um come to reality right like uh companies with cash burn with no cash are going to find it harder to borrow and that thing hasn't flown into the system yet especially on the tech side of things uh low cash high cash burn companies you could easily short them into september october by puts on them and you'd make money and this, then is not this is that. not investment advice. It's not investment <laughs> advice. I'm just no, saying, like, you I can think... short them because if you, yeah. if you think realistically, if you think realistically, interest rates is going to first impact banks, then it's going to impact real estate. And then finally, it's going to come to corporate finance where you don't, because most of the growth relies on borrowings and now suddenly you have credit uh, tightening and that's going to impact all your industrials but, and whatnot. Maybe not the stable ones like what, Coca-Cola or whatever, but the rest yeah. of them tech is. Well, one, one thing I wanted to ask, and then we'll quickly pivot here because we're spending some time here, but I do think it's a good combo. Um, Nabil, what are your thoughts around the, the velocity of hikes, right? Because I know what you're saying, every crash or every leg down has come on the back of a hike. But I think, you know, when we were hiking 50 beeps when rates were near the bottom, like the velocity of that is a lot higher than now doing a 25 beep raise on whatever we were at now, 4.5 or four and three quarters, right? So I do think the impact of it is lower every single time. What I could be wrong on this, but I'm even just thinking, I think the psychological effect of these rate hikes is is more detrimental now, right? Like what I'm finding is now, it seems like everyone is a macro expert, right? Everyone's an expert on interest rates. That's one of the funny things that's come on the back of this where before FOMC meetings were a non-event, right? I, I see a lot of people talk about that. Now everyone's, a whiz on a, on FOMC and, and what's going on there. Um, so I think just a lot of these headlines now is what's, I think even probably just shaking consumers now, like people are, are a bit more knowledgeable if they've chosen to, to brush up on this um, type of information. I just think it, a lot of it is just. Um, but people, then this yeah, just, happens before every bubble, right? There's a, there's a saying from JP Morgan, like the original guy, he said, when my shoe shiner starts giving me stock advice, I know to get out. But like, yes, yes. the idea is but when the, everyone's starting to talk about it, it's a very good time to get out of the market I, and ride it. I because, don't know though. You don't know. No one I have, no one here that I know is talking about stocks to me anymore. And crypto. Okay, a lot of people for me, I hear are talking. Crypto is quiet. Crypto, like I was joking with Pat because we have, uh, we we help out with a uh, a friend of ours, WSO, a newsletter, crypto focused. They get very like not very little subs, but amongst all the other ones that we help promote. They're the lowest ones. I was joking with Pat being that that's like almost like a 
Bellwether. Um, yeah, but, you know what I mean? It's, it's still showing that crypto is not in the light, but I would say even just amongst my close group of friends and not even all finance related people, like people that are tradesmen or just, um, you know, in, as science roles, or whatever it may be, there's definitely less talk on investing, I would say, in my inner circle than oh, yeah. there was dramatically um, before. Before everyone was making money, now it's like no one's making yeah, money. Yeah, because the bull market became spending. better. But yes, but the, even the, personal the spending. The issue is it's too. still a lot. It's yes. still a lot because FOMC, like you said, shouldn't have been like a major event on any stock market related issues. But yeah. now it's just moving the market like crazy, right? You had a drop, I think, yeah. yesterday, and the, people the are like, I, that point to five is gonna it should never have an impact on the market technically speaking except for the very fact that it'll tighten credit which yeah. in but but it's not going that way tech's still booming for whatever reason you know like it makes no sense like it has no, to right? go down I, tech isn't booming I mean, look at look at the valuations on google on on some of these big tech the big tech names google's fine like it's at that rate where it's, it's come back yeah it's come back a little bit but it was trading yeah. at you know pretty low valuation yeah like I mean. 90s it's like pretty fair value there but like when you look at nvidia and like actually at 106 I, I, right now oh google is doing well i've been keeping an eye on it and i see that it's at 106 and i'm kind of bothered by uh missing that bolt but um it's i i I think to, the point is that I, I think between you and I, Nabil, where our differences lies, I think also just maybe the amount, like, so instance, what I'm picking up is I think you like to trade a little bit more often than at least I would. So how I see it is like, yes, there could definitely be another 15% leg down, but in three years time, is that 15% leg down on my purchase price going to be that impactful it's- on like the amount of capital that I'm, that I'd also be investing? Like I don't have a million liquid yeah. that I'm going to put in where it's, that's going to make an impact on future returns. But for me, missing if it does i don't think it goes 15 down but let's just say it does i'm still sleeping happy though because i still think in three years in a good name for like a google for instance or someone else in three years did that 15 percent yeah. really make that much of the impact because i just don't want to focus too much thought on this okay real um, quick like, real quick google job. over or under 150 a share in three years over in three years yeah over well that's really hard to say but like 50 percent gain it's 50 percent up from here or, no idea. Depends on a lot of factors. Not automatic. That's not automatic. Like, <sighs> okay, Tesla. We're at one ninety two, <laughs> two fifty over or under in three years. Over. Depends. Like you. I over. mean, I wouldn't so easily over. I'm a, I'm think? a permable guys. You got to be a permable. Why not? Twenty, all be really 20 million cars. Money. Twenty million cars by twenty thirty. Mark it down. They already have the capacity. They're building. They already have the land for ten million cars a year. This guy watched this video yesterday. This guy was drinking Kool-Aid, like even more than me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, so let's, let's anyways, move on. We can move yeah, on. Yeah, let's let's move on. Yeah, a yeah. long comment, but of course, uh, very interesting to have these conversations. But the next one, Nabil, this one's right up your alley here. So um, there's some discussions around working in the Middle East, specifically just around any nuances maybe that you've seen or you may you maybe recognize from also working with Wall Street Oasis and American firms. Um, but also just uh, the work-life balance, um, working in a financial services uh, organization in the Middle East. So I will pass it off to you, Nabil. Any color you can provide, what's been uh, your experience thus far, and there may be any differences that you've seen uh, when compared to uh, American-based firms? Uh, it depends on which firm, to be honest. At the end of the day, it's very uh, – like if you're working at an international firm, you're you probably have like really good standards around work. But at the same time, if you're working in finance, your work-life balance is pretty much non-existent regardless of where you work. I, I don't know yeah. what you are, but like 
UAE tends to follow uh, fall in the whole US thing where it's like not much of uh, especially in financial services not much not of as bad as Hong Kong yeah hopefully yeah there. I don't think it's <laughs> as bad as yeah those countries Asia the Singapore's and the Hong yeah, Kong's yeah probably yeah. not yeah but well, it's pretty competitive uh, pay is pretty good but again it's more about international stuff if you end up with like something that's super tiny like localized you might not get into the right deals a lot of things happen based on reputation at the end of the day. So if is you're it, working in like... I'm curious to hear, Nabil, is it, is it similar to the US where, you know, straight out of undergrad, you could become like an investment an, uh, investment banking analyst or is it typically you got to get some additional experience you, before becoming an IB analyst? Yeah, you probably need to get like a master. That's kind of how it works, like the UK okay. or the European uh, way of doing things. Yeah, they all get the master's the, right after uni. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, and what's the reason for that though? Is it just because it's so competitive, or just because some of the concepts maybe aren't covered in like a standard undergrad program, um, in in schools um, there? Like, or is that just how it's always been? Because I know, like here in the U.S. and Canada, you can get your MBA. That's definitely what people do, but it's not like a prerequisite. And especially the past two years, IB shops have just been frothing at the mouth for any talent, junior talent specifically. So they're hiring direct from undergrad. Um, and even sometimes like a liberal arts background, it's not even like a business, uh, business acumen background. Yeah. I just think it's culture, to be honest. It's just culture. been that, yeah, it was like, it's, it follows a lot. I mean, they follow a lot of British based traditions. I think UK. And if you go to those countries, you tend to see a lot more bachelor's trade to master's and then a move out. And I think bachelor's also are like three years instead of the typical four, isn't it? Yeah. So, so it's, it's sort of like, yeah, you just get one more year of, uh, because the master's it's is one elsewhere. Yeah, two in US, but one uh, elsewhere, isn't it? So yeah, it's kind of similar. Similar. the same. Yeah. I see. Well, one one positive I know you guys have there is, is no income tax. So for anyone listening, that's probably going to uh, flash some lights there. But uh, they always say taxes are your biggest expense in life. And obviously with you guys there, you're minimizing your, your largest expense, which is... Uh, Obviously, very nice thing. Any any comments on that, Nabi? Or are you just gonna? Uh, I mean, as long as they smile. I mean, as long as they keep tax uh, zero, it's a good thing. But I think they have uh, uh, plans to uh, introduce something called corporate tax for businesses, like nine person or whatever, no personal income tax, so it doesn't like uh, matter too much to the individuals. Yeah, so I'll say to myself, I actually now that you bring that up, I did remember seeing that as uh, I was mentioning to you guys before we we uh, got live around the pod. I was actually looking into possibilities of moving out there just because of the no income tax. Obviously, the weather there is great. Um, coming from Canada, where I'm at here, so um, definitely to me is is very attractive. Um, but then it got me thinking, you know, how obviously does Dubai and other countries around there provide like a knowing uh, no tax environment? From my understanding, a lot of it's just coming because the country is very oil rich. A lot of the revenues are coming from um, like the Saudi Aramco's of the world, um, not because they're all crown corporations owned by the government. So it just got me thinking because obviously Dubai is on this trajectory right now. It's just growing like wildfires. A lot of events went on. There are a lot of people moving there. Um, is it common practice? And Pat, I don't know if you know this, but you know, for other countries that are trying to be up and coming, really grow um, in terms of having people immigrate there and, and start a life there. Is having like a no tax environment pretty common as like an initial starting point to yeah. have that initial traction? <laughs> oh, yeah. Then yeah, yeah. Especially like when they're like you see all these like government agents trying to like loot, like just uh, lure like these large factories. And so like you get it with tests like the, the, this guy in um, yeah. was it Vietnam? 
or uh, the Philippines. Uh, no, maybe the Philippines. They're like trying to get Tesla to build a factory there, and like so they're always like, "Hey, come!" and they give huge tax breaks and all that good stuff. So yeah, but, uh, but obviously the idea is as time goes on, say like thirty years from now, then that first tax law comes into effect because yeah. they're already yeah. there. Okay, so I, that's what I assume. I'm like, you know, I can't see this being like forever because at yeah. the end of the day, like you know, maybe in a hundred years oil is not as important as it is now who knows and large corporations like. have like whole tax teams to figure out like loopholes and like so i think apple keeps like a ton like billions upon yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> where, like, where, where, so they don't have to that was back. somewhere in europe though wasn't that like norway or somewhere or i remember Ireland that or i guess something like that yeah it was one of those countries there where the the wealthiest uh company in the world is not paying or paying very little tax you just keep their money parked there because like why yeah. repatriate it and pay whatever it is 25 35 percent tax so yeah anyways yeah one one question i did have on this before we wrap up this topic because this one again getting a little bit long here in terms of industries do you find that you know in dubai there's specific industries i'm assuming like the oil and gas is probably um a hot industry to be in within the investment banking um realm but is there any other industries that you see are going good. there Healthcare too. Yeah, healthcare. Is, is healthcare covered degree. by? Is healthcare privatized in Dubai or is it covered by? Uh, the it's privatized. I pri- it, it is soft privatized, but then you have insurance, so it's it's uh it's a mix. Like you never pay for healthcare, but your employer I guess pays for it. It's all insurance. It. But yeah, other than that, like the like there's a heavy push towards healthcare. So if you're in uh one of the healthcare groups, you probably are doing very well. But it's really hard I to see. get into. You need to know a lot of people to get in. I see. I see. Yeah. And then is compensation albeit uh, all things equal with um with uh, exchange rates pretty similar to to what like US based uh talent yeah, based? it should be it should be at an international firm but again if you end up at like some no name shop you might end up not getting much and cost living is pretty similar to cost living similar in New York right or no it is yeah it, it is if you're in Dubai right but is yeah. it similar yeah. where it's like if you kind of go a little bit further out a little bit cheaper to live in. So yeah, it is. If you if you stay out of the city, it's cheap. But then that ends up becoming a headache because you're traveling like one two hours to work. And I also had the traffic there. I remember. Uh, I think I was talking to the home about you saying traffic could get a little bit hectic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well. Especially in Dubai. I'm based in Abu Dhabi. It's a little yeah. more expensive, but it's better in terms of traffic and just family. I mean, it's it's a little more quiet. But if you go to Dubai, the roads are like, yeah, you're gonna be stuck in traffic during those peak officers for a long time yeah. interesting right well, i guess uh it's a good thing it's uh makes us feel a little bit better toronto traffic new york traffic california traffic seems like it's the same <laughs> i don't uh, move man i'm, I'm at home all day every <laughs> well, yeah, no, Pat, you got it back. yeah, yeah I'm, obviously being remote i'm at home not stuck in the traffic but exactly heard, yeah uh, california traffic too is brutal um it's from what i heard um but anyways let's let's get on to the third topic here last one i think this one is a fun one guys um, so there's an interesting thread on the forum, specifically in our investment banking forum around IB ranking. So I know this typically comes up a handful of times a year, gets a lot of engagement because mm-hmm. naturally everyone's going to have their own personal opinions. Um, but before we even hop into what the individual's rankings were, I want to turn it to both Pat and Nabil to kind of get their thoughts on what they would rank um, some of these bulge bracket uh, shops in a, in a, we'll do, we'll keep it a little bit simpler on a, like a one through five tier um, here, but I'll list out some of these firms for you guys. You don't got to go through all of them, um, but just so you see, you have them top of mind. Then we'll start with Pat. You kind of give your like A tier, B tier, and C tier. Um, and if you want to go D tier as well, if you remember all the names, uh, we'll go from there. But some of the names to include in these rankings, guys, we've got Evercore, uh, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Catalyst, JP Morgan, Lazard, Bank of America, City, Barclays, Molis, Greenhill, Guggenheim, uh, Credit Suisse, Jefferies, 
Kulahan, uh, Deutsche Bank, um, and what else we got? We got PGT as well. So pretty big list here, guys. Again, don't gotta get on each one, but just roughly start thinking about some some buckets in your head yeah, there and how think, you guys would get. Look, them. we see this so many times in WSO, the rankings, the IB rankings, and people like to argue over it. Um, what I always say is like the group you're at and the deal flow you're gonna get is more important than the exact yeah. rankings. Like some of these. Like to be able, they they split it into like five different buckets where they're like saying Evercore is ahead of like JPM or Centerview, which is just like silly because if you're in the right groups at some of the at like JPM or like it could be a much better experience than like if you're at a weak group at Morgan or Goldman, um, or you know vice versa. Like Lazard could be a better experience if you're like in the right group there. So I think you know it. Yeah, if you're looking at like what they call the S tier or the top tier down all the way to like the B tier or B plus tier, then yeah, you're you're likely going to have better ops at like those higher names, like like the Goldman's, the Morgan's, the Evercore, but, CV. I would even, aside from industry, I think even just geographic location probably plays a factor yeah. too. Like, so for instance, obviously um, amongst this list, this was pre the big Credit Suisse uh, and, and UBS uh, debacle there, but uh, nonetheless, like, you know, Credit Suisse, they have actually Jeffries, for instance, below Credit Suisse. And I would argue in the U.S., Jeffries is probably bigger. Again, prior to everything, right? But like <laughs> Jeffries yeah. is probably a bigger, bigger name. And I would put that on a higher ranking list, U.S.-based than, you know, like what a Credit Suisse um, yep. was. You know what I mean? So I think that's also something to take uh, into yeah, account. Yeah, trying to put B-tier, UBS below Credit Suisse and UBS ended up buying Credit Suisse. <laughs> yes, yes. <I> saw that. <laughs> so this is exactly. kind of funny. It just shows you these rankings are kind of silly and... Um, yeah, they're general kind of, if you want to go by firm, there's general broad brushes in terms of like overall strength and exit ops and, and name brand and prestige and all that good stuff. But like really what it comes down to when you're like recruiting elsewhere, um, if you're staying in the industry, people are going to care a lot more about your deal experience and like what, what group you were part of and, and, and that and how you speak to that. That's going to matter like, you know, 10 times more than the, the exact name. Um, of course, you want to be at a stronger name if you, other things being equal. But like, it's it's funny because these rankings never t- rarely talk about that. You sometimes have some knowledgeable members coming in and be like, "I'd rather be at XYZ Group at a much lower bank than they say this shit group." Yeah, at top ranking. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I would say I think if I had to guess, this person here that made these rankings is probably an analyst or associate at Evercore because he's put them over <laughs> like JP Morgan. <laughs> nothing, nothing against Evercore. Any Evercore? Hey, Evercore ranks here. really well in our in our data. It, well. Yeah, it's it's a very good bank, a very good place to have a career. I just don't think it's over like JP Morgan. I think that's just a little bit silly there. Um, and these are very different too. Like, they're very different. Like if you look at like Centerview, Centerview has a very different model than a lot of the other banks. So for example, they'll pay more, but they expect three years. Like it's a three-year analyst program. Uh, oh. And I think the pay is like the highest though on the street uh, compared to like any, even, even a Goldman or a Morgan or an Evercore. Um, I think they pay. Oh. Is that model working for them? Have you heard anything, Pat? I think that's yeah, I think model. Yeah, I think uh, it's well known. I mean, for people who are really into banking, want to do banking, it's a good it's a good place to be. And the exits are still good out of it because people respect it. So um, yeah, the deal flow is great there. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree necessarily with having it pretty high up there for banking. So. Yeah, I see. Maybe if, if you given a look at the the rankings, there any anything you would change around um, on this or anything that catches your eyes from, from the rankings? I mean, I'd probably follow what Patrick said. It's just where's Rothschild, guys? Where's Rothschild on this list? Yeah, that one's hitting you you uh, close to home. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they got Greenhill on there. Greenhill's uh, 
had a little bit of a, a struggle the last few years, but Molis is in there kind of in the middle. I think it's, I think it's not that like, if you I thought yeah, Bank of America was, I thought Bank of America was higher to be honest with you. Um, like just from like an overall brand recognition, like it, when I hear IB and I hear, you know, Goldman, Morgan, JP, Bank of America, those are always like a bucket of mine. That yeah. I would always kind of yeah. hear. And then like Do the Barclays. Do you agree on Catalyst being like S tier? No. Um, but to be honest, so I don't know much about Catalyst. But Catalyst is tiny. They're, they're in, in, in the industry. It's size, yeah. No, I in the industry, no they do like the dollar per banker they make probably. oh okay that's they're doing okay. like some monster deals they're not doing as many deals but they're doing some monster deals and like they're a tiny team so it's like for people nice. who know it's like okay, okay. <laughs> well Pat, one one question that i have for you and then we'll, i guess we'll wrap it up just because uh, you mentioned around like exit ops all obviously all these firms provide great exit ops um but specifically around like the industry if you're on a specific like industry focused team does that directly impact your exit ops and oh, yeah. like where you could like absolutely what i'm trying to get is like so for instance like if you're on a, a quote-unquote bad team within morgan stanley or just like a team that's not like if you're on if you're in fig team. if you're in financial institutions group at a top bank it's still going to limit you in your exits probably so it's a, i was gonna say does it still limit you like yeah a, you a become e firm take that into account um yeah even though you're coming from morgan right yeah they do they do they're looking for kids at certain groups like the you know they're like okay give me the goldman side the tmt kids Give me, you know, yeah, give me the, you know, the, the the credit shops, the hedge funds that are looking for like distressed people. They'll like give me the restructuring analyst from Lazard, from a Molis, whatever, I, right? What is it though with TMT? I would say someone that's never actually spent time in banking. Like I've never actually been. Tech. Well, it's just they had they've been doing they've done a ton of huge deals. Like they're they're okay, that's what it is. usually on there. So like it's just because I, I always like TMT is always like the one. Like everyone is always Stanley like, too. Yeah, the te- the Menlo Park team here right near me um that's a lot of big deals in tech uh nice. but yeah i mean speaking of which with the session coming up and restructuring again ha huh, what like groups would be like uh go, well go racha go lazard <laughs> strong names in restructuring <laughs> green hill has a pretty strong restructuring practice my former mds at green hill uh neil shout out to neil oh. if you're watching this um yeah he uh and, and molus molus is really strong too um in restructuring so i think yeah i think Nadia, we, pat and i when we when we launch our restructuring course um in the future that was uh next conversation week? we had like there's next certain week. yeah exactly so next week there's going to be certain banks that we'll be able to target with industry groups there that are more applicable um one oh, interesting good. call we had was actually a law firm that focuses on like restructuring is looking to hires right so they came to us tapped on us for talent oasis um but just because they're kind of anticipating an influx of of wow. uh, ideally volume on their end. Um, oh, yeah. Right. So the bankruptcies oh, are coming. Oh, yeah. SVB signature was next. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely be something, but uh, hopefully not until next Thursday because I think we need a week of like positivity, guys. The past two weeks has been pretty negative. But with all Great. things, uh, all things being said after these past two weeks, the markets are kind of <laughs> in the same place they were two weeks ago. So the job yeah. continues. Um, I'm sure we'll have more to talk about that next Thursday, but it's been a great conversation, guys, and we'll be back next week. That was good. Thanks, guys. All right. Sounds good. Cheers. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. And until next time. 